A blessed 2020 to you. Happy New Year. Turn to your neighbor and give an appropriate greeting. So on this sixth Sunday of this series, what are we waiting for? God now invites us into God's work in the world. And yet, this sermon is not about New Year's resolutions. Maybe a sigh of relief from some of you, or not. Rather, the focus is on what is it that disturbs us about the world, about Jesus, and what is it that makes us curious? We pause in silence for a moment in prayer. Amen. Like most areas of the world, we live in a city in which disturbing things happen. We know about, though, about many individual things that are disturbing, many incidents. Additionally, there are economic and racial, inclusive and theological and political divides in Lancaster, just like any other place. But there are also many things that arouse my curiosity. My curiosity level is raised by the lives of significant people from the past. And so on Friday after Christmas, Loretta and I joined friends and went down to the Edward Hand House in Rockford Plantation, Lancaster Central Park, or Lancaster County Central Park. And I was particularly interested in how people those days, over 200 years ago, celebrated Christmas. And so, not too unsurprisingly, we learned, and I kind of had some hints of this, that Christmas was celebrated beginning on December 25th. Imagine that. And continuing for 12 days to Epiphany, thus the 12 days of Christmas. And the time was spent in those days, those 12 days, exchanging invitations to Households, meals, conversation, dancing, telling stories, ghost stories, of which there are a few at the Edward Hand House. Lancaster is also known for its buildings and its many little plaques that designate the significance of a certain building. And so it was with particular interest that I came upon a house, a residential place, on East Orange Street, just a few doors west of David and Margaret High's home. Dripping with parody and maybe sarcasm, this little plaque read, in 1897, nothing happened here. (laughs) So my curiosity was aroused, no doubt. Why would such a person put that there, but maybe just to make me laugh or make others laugh, as you did? Disturbed and curious. 
In the time of King Herod, an event occurs which invokes a great deal of disturbance and curiosity. King Herod is immensely disturbed. We can understand that from the story, but what about all of Jerusalem? Herod is under the heavy hand of the Roman Empire. He's well known for his massive building projects in Caesarea and, of course, the Jerusalem Temple, but he's also well known as a ruthless and, I think, somewhat insecure king of Judea. He's known for his ruthless treatments of rivals and opponents, and Matthew confirms this reputation in our reading as a powerful and yet anxious-filled king. And we find him, of course, greatly disturbed by the news the Magi bring to him. Their story, as told to Herod, is that they, of course, seen a star associated with the Jewish birth of a king. And aware of this tradition, they embody Isaiah's words in Isaiah 63, that nations, or we can say peoples, shall come to your light. And their curiosity brings them to worship this new king. And unsurprisingly, they begin their search in Jerusalem, the center of Palestine. But what about this fear? What about Jerusalem being shaken, all of Jerusalem being shaken? Well, perhaps an answer to this is that it is well known to all the people that whenever Rome senses any hint of uprising or disturbance in any of its provinces, they take quick action to make sure that nothing is going to happen to upset the equilibrium of their power. To understand the full emotion of this fear, we note the same language is used to describe the terror of the disciples when they see Jesus walking on the water, coming to their boat. So all of Jerusalem is, is terrified for good reason. So Herod goes on a fact-finding mission to develop a strategy to counter this threat to his role. And the scene changes in verse 7 when Herod, armed with this information, secretly confers with the Magi to confirm the exact day, the exact month, the exact year. And he lines this up with the astronomical observations and confirms that, well, it must be in Bethlehem. So, With his anxiety confirmed, he instructs the Magi to go there and report back to him with the pretense of wanting to join in worshiping this newborn. Now, we know the rest of the story. The Magi, curious about this new star, they go to Bethlehem, they find Jesus, they indeed worship him and present his parents with gifts fit for a king, and also fit for the new chapter yet to come in their escape to Egypt. And the final note in verse 12 is almost like an addendum, and it reads this way. In a dream, the Magi are instructed to return by a different route, bypassing Herod in Jerusalem. A different route. They, like us, are unable to undo anything 
or redo anything from 2019. Much as we'd like to do that, there is little we can do to undo. So here we are in 2020, and the wait is over. Once again, we have been, we have been informed and enheartened by the news that it's, God is with us. Emmanuel. And Isaiah tells us to arise and shine and walk in this path and be transformed by this mystery of God with us. But what might it mean to be disturbed or curious about the world in which we live and about Jesus? And which most describes us? Which most describes you and me? Is it disturbed or curious? I, actually, I hope both. I hope that each of us will at some time be disturbed enough by Jesus to investigate again what he is all about. I hope we open ourselves to the disruptions that will come and act on them. I hope that each of us will be curious about Jesus in 2020 and be curious about what God brings into our lives this year. But most importantly, I hope that we continue to be disturbed and curious enough about Jesus to ask penetrating questions and then be moved to act on them. Because we cannot go back to some ideal moment in the past. In this month's Christian Century, Christine Hemp captures this thought in her poem, which she entitles, We Asked for Signs and Followed What We Saw. We found it strange. The king was more keen about a baby than a star. Before our journey to the birth, gifts once came with their own requirements and obligations. To give, really, was to ask. Soon it was revealed our largesse was dwarfed by a geography more expansive than our charts. A gift no longer meant a ledger. Afterwards, I dreamt I saw a despot licking dust. We steered our lathered beast clear of the city. Sand blew in our eyes, but we kept our course for home. Everything was different. There were no constellations pointing out the path. We kept gazing at the stars for answers. We were haunted by a fitful flame wavering inside us. I'd like to call that fitful flame disturbed curiosity. In my years of interim pastoring, I found that being curious is a very key role in being in, in that role of interim. Asking people questions, hopefully disturbing them to ask them about what's going on and what they really want. Brian McLaren continues this conversation. 
He recommends we expand our sense of being disturbed and curious with what he calls the five P's. The planet, poverty, peace, political corruption, and people. That is, all people, no exceptions. Leonard Pitts, in a recent column, recommends prayer as a way of getting through, not to get more, not to, or not for a, not prayer as a plea to get out of life's trials, but as a confession of one's humility, a realization we cannot see much through a peephole. Rather, a decision to be okay with that, that life simply is vicissitudes, and vicissitudes are life, meaning a successive alternation between opposite or contrasting things. But perhaps Mary Unger says it best in one of the poems read last Sunday morning. And I quote, The story never says... If Mary or Joseph or the shepherds were comforted by these fear-denying angels, likely not, but all of them moved forward, did the next thing that was to be done, which is about all you can ask. Loretta and I are in the middle of reducing our household contents, upgrading some of the interior and generally scaling back, and sometimes it just seems overwhelming. What do you do next? What, what's, where are we going to, how long is it going to take? It seems like it's going on forever. Where we have found some relief and direction is in this practice of just doing the next thing. Doing the next thing, is, I think, is what we do when we are unable to go back the way we came. That restoration doesn't mean life returns to what was, rather to what new thing is waiting for us. And finally, like Jesus' contemporaries, we too live in a world in which various powers and structures rule over us or attempt to rule over us, and they, they want our loyalty and we, too, must make decisions about what powers we will recognize and, what, and which ones we will not. What to do, I think, is we just do the next thing. And that is to affirm that Jesus, as king, is our first loyalty and that he has final claim on all of our loyalties because that's what Magi homage is all about. So, if New Year's resolutions are helpful, make them. Go for it. This story is one for me that tells me that being disturbed and curious are enough worthy New Year's resolutions, the gifts of disturbance and curiosity. May it be so for you and for us as a congregation, as we do the next thing. 
Amen.